Welcome, everybody. I'm John Simpson, lead pastor of Mitchell Berean Church, and we want to welcome you to this um, this weekend services. We are um, excited about this opportunity to meet together. You know, uh, at times like this, it's a good reminder to us that the church is not a building, right? The church is not a building. Jesus called people to follow him, and he always said the church was the movement of people that were following him, that had trusted in him as Savior, and that were living and continuing to live in the world, making an impact for him. And so this week, we, we're, it's good for us to remember that. And so we want to welcome those of you that might be joining us that don't go to Mitchell Brian Church. This isn't your normal church home, but we're thankful that you're able to access this. We can minister to you. Um, you know, God has provided us the ability through technology to be able to minister to many. Uh, specifically, want to uh, welcome Solid Rock Bible Church out of Chapel, Nebraska. We know some of you guys are with us this morning or, or today uh, over this weekend. And so welcome. Thank you for being a part of this. We pray that God would minister to you. You know, we're, um, it's interesting, guys, as God has put us in a season of, of trial. You know, we know that sickness and disease is part of the fallen world that we live in. And so we know that, uh, that this time is not something that's new or abnormal in that uh, human beings have faced these kind of things since, uh, since the fall, since Adam and Eve sinned and God uh, said, listen, um, there's going to be a, a curse placed on the earth. And so when we look at Scripture, we find hope because we recognize that even though these things occur, that God moves to save and that God has moved to bring salvation to us and to bring healing to us. And so we're thankful for um, those among us who study God's creation. We've got those in the medical field and the scientific community looking for, uh, for antivirus, looking for uh, treatments, things that will help slow down the, the expansion of this virus. And you know what's interesting is the Christians from the very beginning have done this kind of thing. We always move to help. We always move to try to save life because we recognize that life comes from God. And so I want to encourage you during this season um, that we as a church are not panicked or afraid. We're just responding to uh, be good neighbors to the community we live in. We're trying to help by following the advice and the admonition of those that are in positions of power saying, listen, don't meet publicly. Slow down your gathering. We want to slow down the spread of this virus so we can protect those who are more vulnerable among us. And we certainly want to be a part of that. And so as a church, that's why we're online only this weekend, just ministering to you. We hope you're able to sit down at home, maybe sit back on the couch, turn this on your TV and be able to watch this and just relax and hear a, a message of hope and encouragement. And so thank you for being here. I just want to start off our time together by just praying for, uh, for our nation, for our world, and for our communities. So please pray with me. God, we just come to you thankful that you, sovereign God, creator of the universe, is with us. You're aware of what's going on. You know of the trials and the, and the tribulations we face on this earth. And certainly you see a time of crisis like this. You're not a distant God who is unaware of our trials and troubles, but you are a God who is aware. You're present. You're real. You're, uh, you're aware of what's going on because we are your creation. You made us and you care about us. And so God, thank you for the comfort we have of knowing that you're walking with us as a human race through a time of testing and trial. God, we wanna pray that you would move in our world to save life. We know that you care about each and every person that walks this planet because you created them. And so Father, we just pray that you would move to, to slow down um, the, the death rate and the, the toll that this virus is taking on your children. Father, we pray that you would help those who are um, in the scientific community, in the, in the medical community to work, to be able to find breakthroughs. Father, that you would give them the wisdom and insight to discover cures and treatments for this virus so that, again, the, the toll on the human race could be slowed. Father, I pray for our world, those that do not know you, those that have put not, their, uh, not put their trust in you, Father, that they would find out clearly who you are and look to you as a creator God who made the heavens and the earth in a season like this. Father, we pray for our country that you would, um, again, uh, that you would be with the, our leaders and those who make decisions for our country, Father, that you would give them wisdom, that you would give them the right decisions, wise counsel, so that, Father, they can make good decisions to handle this in the best possible way that would save the most lives. 
Father, we pray for our state. We're here in Nebraska, but certainly we have people that are in Wyoming and South Dakota. Father, we pray for this region and the states that are affected. Father, that you would, again, give our leaders wisdom and guidance, help them to make the right decisions to slow down this virus that um, more lives could be saved. Father, thank you for putting us here in this region to make a difference here. And so, Father, I pray for the people in our church, the people that live, um, that are watching this video, for the regions and the areas that they represent. God, would you help them to be a witness during this time that more and more people might turn to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, guys, we're continuing a series that we've been going in for a couple weeks here called Co-Mission. And we're looking at the mission of God from the book of Acts. Our key verse for this series is found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And it says this, Jesus speaking here, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus speaking to 120 of his followers who were going to be waiting for him, uh, and were going to be waiting uh, he said, wait for the Holy Spirit. Uh, he promised that the Spirit of God would come in power. And so on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit did come. And so to those 120 followers who were waiting in an upper room, terrified of what was going to happen, scared of the Roman authorities, scared of the Jewish leaders, the, the Spirit of God came on them in power. And they began to spill out into the streets. And we've looked at through this series how they began to reach the city of Jerusalem. And then um, through that, uh, that demonstration of power, people began to, to join their movement and began, became followers of Jesus, those that had trusted in Jesus as the Messiah. And as this movement grew in Jerusalem, persecution also began to hit. And so last week, we looked at how Stephen stood up and preached a powerful message of truth to the, the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, and how they stoned him as a, res, uh, as a response. They were uh, offended and angered by his message of truth. And so they stoned him, but that, that persecution, that witness that Stephen had, began to spread the followers of Jesus outside of the city of Jerusalem. And so um, through the history of the church, many have looked at this verse and said, you know, there's, there's four different areas or arenas in which Jesus said his followers should go reach. And so these represent four arenas for our world today, regardless of where we live, regardless of uh, what part of the world, uh, at what time we live, we can still move to reach these four arenas. And the four arenas being Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And so our Jerusalem, we've looked at, represents our city, the town that we live in, the city that we live in. And, uh, and then we looked, um, so we looked at that two weeks ago. And then there's Judea. And Judea is representative of our state, a larger geographical area that we're responsible to reach out to. And then this week, we're looking at the area of Samaria. And Samaria represents our country for us here, the United States of America. And then, of course, Jesus said to go and reach the uttermost parts of the earth. And so as a church, we have missionaries working to reach each one of these regions. And so I want to introduce you to them. We, uh, we support a number of missionaries, over 22 different mission organizations. We give about $5,000 a month or $60,000 a year towards missions to uh, support the cause of Christ throughout the world. And so our missionaries serve in these different arenas, and I wanted to introduce them, uh, you to them. And so uh, the ones we're going to look at today, and I want to introduce you to, um, are a couple of different missionaries, three today. The first ones are the Andersons. And the Andersons uh, serve with Ethnos 360. And so we want to introduce you to them. And so let's watch this video now. Greetings from Wisconsin. Our names are John and Janice Anderson. And we are one of your missionaries. We serve in the regional member care department of Ethnos 360, formerly known as New Tribes Mission. For those who don't know the goal of Ethnos 360, it is to establish a thriving church for every people group. There are 6,500 such groups in the world, and 2,500 are still unreached. Ethnos 360, founded in 1942 as New Tribes Mission, helps local churches train, coordinate, and send missionaries to these people. We actually began with Ethnos 360 in 1982, and you folks there in Mitchell have been supporting us for the majority of those years. 
a specific ministry in the member care department is to be an encouragement to our fellow missionaries. Because of the intense ministry our co-workers are involved with, there are definitely times that they can become discouraged or lose sight of the calling that God has given them. In order to endeavor to reach the many missionaries on home assignment, our member care department has divided the continental U.S. into nine different regions. Our region covers the northern Midwestern states, which of course includes Nebraska. Yay! Therefore, we are responsible for any Ethnos 360 missionary whose home area is in this region. How do we actually encourage our missionaries? Well, it really depends. We are always asking the Lord to give us wisdom as we endeavor to connect. Probably the most common way is to give a listening ear to pray for them and to point them back to the Lord. Sometimes we can help them by walking them through a debriefing or a self-evaluation. Uh, also, we can help them find different resources such as retreats or a referral to someone who might be able to help them process things better. Sometimes it's doing physical things, taking them out to eat, driving them to the airport, babysitting their kids, or have them in our home. At times, we even help some of them remodeling as they've been working on their future retirement home. Some ways you can be praying specifically for us, travel, for safety and endurance. Last year alone, we traveled over 15,000 miles in our member care industry. We always are asking for wisdom and sensitivity. Sometimes our missionaries have suffered traumatic experiences and we're trying to decide how can they be helped best. Balance. Balance with our ministry, our involvement in the local church, and our families. So this gives you some of the idea of what we do and how you can be praying for us. Thank you so very much for your care for us. Sorry we can't be there with you face to face. Bye, folks. You know. The second missionary family I want to introduce you to this morning are the McDaniels. And the McDaniels also serve with Ethnos 360. And so we've got a video from them that will introduce you to, to who they are and what it is that they do in this world. Hi, we're Jerry and Joyce McDaniels, and we're your missionaries with Ethnos 360, formerly New Tribes Mission. And... Um, We've been with the mission um, in Panama since 1983 when we flew down as young 22-year-old missionaries and we got to the field and we spent a year and a half learning the Spanish language. Um, I shouldn't say we learned it, we're still learning, but we learned Spanish and then we moved into a village out in the middle of the Dadiang jungle called Morti where we worked with the Kuna people. There we had to learn the Kuna language and then for the next 20 years in Panama, our job was church planting amongst the Kuna people. Um, today, there's over 70 Kuna churches that um, are growing, and it's, it's an actually fantastic to get reports back from uh, Panama and the Kuna churches and what God's doing. Our co-workers that we were with there in the village for many years, Joe and Sharon Goodman, were over the other night for supper since, you know, we're all suffering. We figured we should have steak together. And uh, they had just recently returned from Panama, and it was so fun seeing pictures of people that we invested our life in all those years ago, still going on with the Lord and growing. But like I said, we were in Panama for 20 years, and then we had the privilege of working on a leadership team with the mission for six years through all of Latin America. So at that point, we had traveled nine countries um, in Latin America. And then in 2009, we were asked to become the international literacy coordinators um, with the mission. And since then, I think we figured out after Africa trip last year, that was our 35th country that we've had the chance to minister in. But now our, our main ministry goal is literacy. And sometimes people hear about literacy, reading and writing, and they don't understand how, how vital that is for the growth of any church worldwide. And so Joyce was just going to share a little bit about our literacy ministry. Yeah, the Word of God is being translated into languages all around the world, and we're so thankful for that. That's very great and awesome. But if the people can't read in the villages, which most of the places where um, we are working, uh, there aren't schools for, for education for adults, they're not able to read. They'd be limited to access to God's Word when the pastor or somebody could read to them. 
So our ministry works with places where God's Word is being translated. We make sure that there are materials in the language of the people that teach them how to read and write in their own language so that they can uh, be able to understand and, and grow in God's Word. So we are very excited about what we're doing. These few prayer requests for us are these days where everybody's kind of shut down. We have lots of desk work projects that we've been wanting to get to, so we're working on those, including um, revision of the Literacy Manual. That's a book that explains the process for missionaries, how to go in to learn the language, get a good alphabet written down, and then see materials written in the language to teach the people to read. Um, and so we're getting these resources ready and also some video training that our mission has asked us to do. So we're keeping plenty busy. We really appreciate your prayers. Uh, prayers for creativity and writing and detailing all these instructions. Um, just good communication, clear communication. And uh, we have plans with Pastor John that we'll be coming to visit, Lord willing, in September. So we look forward to that. And right behind us, if Joy steps off to the side, is a, a verse that's precious to us. It says, God, His way is perfect. His word is pure. He's a shield to all who take refuge in Him. Psalms 18.30. And you know, in the day and age that we're living through this pandemic, I think it's a good reminder that He's our shield. He's the one that, that we can run to and trust. That we don't have to run fearful. Um, that we can trust Him. To, to be our, our refuge and our shield. And so we're going to challenge you, um, as we say goodbye, just uh, through this whole pandemic. Just keep looking to Him. He's on the throne. He's never left the throne. He's in charge. And um, He wants His Word to go out to the nations. And so um, I'm going to challenge you, just I'm sure as Pastor John is during this time, as you, as you meet people in the store and it's kind of, you know, keep your social distancing. <laughs> Remember to, to remind them that God's in control, that, that He's sovereign, and, and if you get a chance, remember to tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ. So it's good talking to you. Hope to talk to you again via video sometime in the near future. Bye-bye. Well, those are some of our missionaries, and I know you're excited to learn about them and discover who they are. The truth is that the mission of God begins with Jesus coming to this earth. Do you understand that when Jesus said to his disciples, go into all the world, it's because God the Father said to Jesus, go to the earth. And so Jesus, the scriptures tell us, left heaven, and he came to this earth and humbled himself. And he was born of a virgin, born as a baby. And he grew and was nurtured just like every other human being on this earth. Jesus knows what the human experience is all about. He saw the effects of sin and pain and suffering on the human beings around him. And though Jesus never sinned, he saw and felt the effects of sin. Jesus lived his life. He began a ministry at about age 30. And for three years, he traveled the country ministering to people, healing the sick, forgiving sins, uh, connecting people to God the Father, speaking life into them. And as Jesus went on in his ministry, the time came for him to accomplish the mission that God sent him to the earth to do. And that mission was to be placed on trial, to be falsely accused by the religious leaders uh, of, of the nation of Israel, and to be put on trial and to be accused of being a false Messiah and of, um, of defaming God. <clears throat> and so the Jewish leaders found him guilty and wanted him to be crucified. And so they sent him to the Romans and said he must be crucified. And ultimately, the Romans agreed. And so Jesus was taken to Golgotha, and he was placed on a cross. Nails were hammered through his wrists and through his feet, and he was pinned to the cross and lifted in the air, and he bled and died. And as he died, he said the most important words that probably Jesus ever spoke, and that is these words. He said this phrase, it is finished. And we know that on the cross, Jesus paid for the sins of the world. That was the mission God had him come to the earth to accomplish. And so in paying for the sins of the world, the Bible calls it atoning for or, uh, or, <clears throat> or paying the debt that the human race had. Jesus' death paid for the sins of the human race in its entirety. Every human that had ever lived and would ever live. And so through Jesus, salvation and reconciliation with God is made possible. And so the mission of God continues. 
And it began there and it continues even to today. So that as we, the church of Jesus Christ today in our times, in, in the year 2020, a new year, the beginning of a new decade, we have the opportunity and responsibility to continue this mission of God to reach the world. And I want to call you as the church of Jesus Christ that we're responsible to do one of two things. We're either called to go into all the world as Jesus called his disciples to do. We're either called to go or we're called to send. I think we've got to be a part of this mission of God in one of those two ways, either going or sending. Going means that we're leaving our Jerusalem. We're going to help spread the gospel to the Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. But if we're not called to go, as most of us will not be, we're called to send. And so I want to encourage you, as I have been through this series, to consider how you can be a part of <clears throat> supporting mission movement of God by giving financially. It's a big part of what God calls us to do. The scriptures teach us that we should give 10% to the work of God in our local community, to give to the church. Secondly, we should support, support the mission movement of God by giving to missions. And so I've asked you to consider that through this series. Consider giving on a percentage basis, determining up front that you're going to honor God and you're going to sow seeds into the work of God by being generous. And so I want to continue to challenge you to do that. The church in, in the book of Acts explodes. <clears throat> the ingredients that caused this explosion are many. But one of the things that happened is, uh, as we talked about, was this persecution. It really pushed believers out of Jerusalem as they began to travel into Judea and Samaria and ultimately into the uttermost parts of the earth. Persecution is what started this expansion, but after they began to go, what continued to propel them to go out was the fact that they were seeing a response. Um, we're going to look at that today. If you want to turn in your Bible to Acts, and we're going to start in, the book, in um, chapter 8 of the book of Acts, um, we're going to see this expansion. And one of the first places after this persecution starts, that the gospel goes is to Samaria. And so um, Philip went to Samaria to share the good news of the, uh, with the people there. And the message is received with joy. In Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 5, this is what it says. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria, and he told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see his miraculous signs that he did. Many, many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims, and many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. The Samaritans received the message of Jesus with great joy. They were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for the chosen one. See, the Samaritans were a mixed a people of mixed race. They were looked down upon by many of the Jewish people because they represented a disobedience to God's commands. God had told the nation of Israel not to intermingle, not to intermarry, not to have children with the peoples around them. And yet many of the people of Israel did that down through time. And so the Samaritans were those that were the offspring of the Jewish people who had intermarried with the people around them. And so that was a, an act of disobedience. And so many of the Jewish people looked down on the Samaritans. And yet they were still the people of God. They understood the law. And they were looking for the Messiah. Jesus, the Messiah, taught many things about how to be right with God. As the Samaritans and as other peoples are being taught about Jesus, the Messiah, what went along with that were the teachings that Jesus taught. He, it was very important to Jesus that people understood how to be connected to God. And so Jesus spoke, for instance, about the path of salvation. In John chapter 14, the gospel of John chapter 14, starting in verse 1, this is what Jesus says. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, I would have told you, or would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will, will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. No, we don't, <laughs> uh, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Very important, Jesus' words, describing a path of salvation. 
Jesus says, if you believe in the Father, you believe in God who created the universe, creator God, then also believe in me. And it's in believing in me that you can find a path to eternal life. Jesus also encouraged that there is life after death. He spoke about a resurrection from the dead. In John chapter 11, Jesus was speaking to Martha and her brother Lazarus had passed away. And so he had died and Jesus came to minister to this family. And in speaking to Martha in John chapter 11, starting in verse 25, Jesus says this. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who believes in me and uh, who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Jesus impressing upon Martha in a moment of crisis that there is life after this. There is a resurrection from the dead. And so Jesus said that he is the resurrection and the life. And whoever lives in him, whoever believes in him, will never die. Now certainly this doesn't mean that they'll never die physically. Because physical death is promised to all of us. And we certainly will experience that. And so Jesus speaking about the life after this, the spiritual existence that we will have. And so uh, Jesus teaching on life after this one, that we need to be prepared for an eternal existence. In, um, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus speaks to what is required of us. What is it that God requires of us? As we look at this, as we look at the fact that Jesus is saying, listen, um, we've got to worry about being saved. We've got to worry about being uh, in Christ, you know, in, in him. Like what's going to happen after this life? And that there is a life after this one. We should be concerned with that. We need, to, we need to educate ourselves as to what Jesus says and make sure that we've done what God calls us to do. And so Jesus in Matthew chapter 10 says these words. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body but cannot touch your soul. Right now we're struggling with a virus that can kill our bodies, but it cannot touch our souls. And so Jesus said, listen, you can be concerned about your physical life, but really you need to be concerned about your spiritual existence. What's going to happen to your soul after you die? He says, listen, fear only God. Don't be afraid of a virus that can take your life, but fear only God who can take both soul and body and send them to hell. What is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin. But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be right in your own household. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you're not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. Listen to this. If you cling to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you'll find it. I want to encourage you with something today that Jesus is speaking to the nature of life and how to be sure that we stand in the right position before God so that if we go to be with him, <laughs> excuse me, when we go into the next life, when we pass from this life into the next, that we can know for sure where we stand and that we can face the judgment that's coming. You know, Jesus in Matthew 25 talks about that judgment. He encourages us that we are going to face a time of judgment. In Matthew 25, verse 31, starting in verse 31, it says this, this is Jesus speaking. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. And then Jesus, it goes on to say, is going to call those on his right. He's going to say, listen, you belong to me. So go into your eternal reward. And to those on his left, he's going to say, listen, you don't belong to me. You are going to pass to eternal judgment. It's important we understand. This isn't an apostle speaking. It's not another writer of the New Testament. This is Jesus. 
And he's saying, listen, judgment is coming. I think we naturally know this as human beings. We have a conscience. We have a knowledge that we're going to stand and face judgment for the things we've done in this life. And we know that the things we've done, many of them are wrong. We've hurt others. We've stood in rebellion against God. And I want to call you that, um, that we need to acknowledge this. Many in our country have moved away from the idea that we're going to face judgment and that we're going to stand before God and give an accounting for our lives and that what we've done with Jesus is going to determine whether or not we spend eternity with God in heaven or we spend eternity in hell separated from him. Our country has looked away to many other things. We've looked to humanism, atheism. We've looked to a secular belief, one that doesn't reflect a belief in God. We've said, listen, it's all about materialism or the things that we get. It's all about getting for me, and we live a selfish life. And as a country, in many ways, we've just turned away from God. And I believe we live in a time now where our, uh, the, the substance of our belief is being tested. If you're filled with uh, panic and fear, if you watch the people around us go crazy to purchase things so that they're protected in a time of crisis, they don't look out for their neighbor. They're not concerned about the people around them because they're so filled with fear and so filled with, I've got to get for myself. That reflects a shallowness in existence. It means that we don't have an anchor point as we face trials and persecution in this life. As we face the idea and the thought of death, we're filled with fear and panic. It's because there's no depth There's no anchor. There's no solid foundation that we built our life on. And so I want to call us as a country to turn back to Jesus. You know, Jesus, when he walked the earth, spoke to us. He spoke directly to humanity. And he said, listen, uh, here's the thing. There there is a, a way to get connected to God. And the access to God is through Jesus. He said, listen, you're going to face judgment. Here's what you need to do. If you try to hang on to this life, you're going to lose it. But if you let go of this life and you grab onto me, you're going, to, you're going to gain life in the end. God is the one who's over us. He's in control sovereignly. And if you haven't placed your faith and trust in him, then you don't have that certainty. If you were to die, where are you going to go? What's going to happen to you? Down deep, you know that you have a fear of standing before God and facing that judgment. And so I want to call you as an individual and call us as a country to turn back to God. We need God. We need the salvation that's found through Jesus. In John chapter 3, Jesus speaking to Nicodemus said these words in chapter chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Jesus said, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Listen, I want to lead you in a prayer today as you're watching this, as you're sitting in front of your television, your your phone screen, your tablet. I want to call you to, to make sure that you've done business with God, that you've put your faith and trust in Jesus. He alone is the only way to salvation. He's the only way to know for sure that when you die, you're going to spend eternity with him in heaven. And so I want to call you to that. I want to lead you in a prayer. And I want to ensure you that a prayer is not magical, that praying a prayer doesn't in and of itself save you, but talking to God does save you. And expressing the, the, the belief in your heart and the need that you have for him, praying is the way to do that. And so I want to lead you in a prayer. If you feel so led and so moved to make sure that you know where you stand with God, then just pray this with me. Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I have sinned against you. I know I deserve judgment and to spend eternity in hell separated from you. Today, I am placing my trust in what you did on the cross as enough to pay for my sins. I'm choosing today to turn from my old path of sin toward obedience to you and your commands. Please come into my life and make me a new creation. I want to be born again. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to encourage you that if you prayed that prayer and you believed in your heart, it was a cry to God that you need him in your life, you need salvation from your sins, you want to know for sure that you're connected to him. If you did that with sincerity, the Bible tells us that you have moved from death to life, that you've been invited into and accepted into the family of God. 
The Bible teaches us that you've been saved, you've been justified or made right, and that your sins will no longer be held against you, but you will be found in Christ. And it's in his sacrifice that you will walk and live and breathe. And so I want to invite you to, get, uh, to tell somebody. Tell somebody the decision you've made. Get yourself into a, a, a church. Get yourself into a Bible teaching church so that you can begin to grow in your newfound faith. Listen, uh, God loved you. Jesus moved and acted and sacrificed himself so you could be saved. And I want to call you to be a part of that, to put your trust in him. Well, as we continue through the book of Acts, uh, people were responding to this message. They were putting their trust in Jesus as Messiah. They were seeing him as the Savior of the world. And they, they recognized that through him was how salvation was found. And so they began to put their trust in him. But as this gospel went forward, it's interesting that what began to arise were some of those who wanted to latch on to this movement of God, and they wanted to use it for their own benefit. They wanted to use it for their own power and advancement. And so their hearts were not right. They weren't uh, excited about what God was doing in the world, but they wanted to see what they could do uh, by utilizing the movement of God for themselves. And they wanted to see their own power and their own personal gain move forward. And so as this happened, the apostles spoke against these counterfeits, and these counterfeits are denounced. As, uh, as the church in Jerusalem hears that the gospel has gone to Samaria and that the city of Samaria has responded and the Samaritans are becoming followers of Jesus, as they hear this, they send some apostles down. Peter and John went down to Samaria and they met with these uh, new believers and they found out that though they had put their trust in Jesus, they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. And so the apostles lay their hands on these new Christians and the, the Holy Spirit comes on them in power. And there was a sorcerer named Simon who saw this happening. And Simon saw that the power of God was transmitted by the laying on of hands. And so he went to Peter and John and he said, listen, could I pay you some money? Could I purchase this power? I'd like to be able to do this. Now, Simon, you got to understand, was known as the man in Samaria. He was the man. He had spiritual power. He spoke to the people and they looked to him as a spiritual leader. And so he sees Peter and John come in and he's going to lose this position. No longer are they going to look to Simon, the sorcerer, for spiritual advice. Now they're going to look to Jesus, to the apostles. And so he saw his position being lost. And so he went to them and asked if he could purchase this power. And in Acts chapter 8, verse 21, this is what uh, Peter's response is. But Peter replied to Simon, May your money be destroyed with you, for thinking God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this, for your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Per perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts. For I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and are, and are held captive by sin. Simon was a counterfeit. He wanted to use the gospel for his own ends and for his own advancement. And Peter spoke strongly against him. He said, listen, your heart needs to be right. You're jealous of what we're doing. You're jealous that God is moving in here and taking over. You should be excited. <laughs> you need to come to God yourself. You need to trust in Jesus yourself. There are counterfeits in our time as well. There are teachings and people that come at uh, uh, people, and they use the gospel, they use the power of God, and they try to tap into it and utilize it for their own benefit. One of those counterfeits that I think we see alive in our world today is called the prosperity gospel. And that is the idea that if you come to Jesus, put your trust in him, you're going to follow the Holy Spirit and live in God's power, that you're going to gain financial wealth. You're going to become prosperous on this earth. And there's a promise, and there's almost a utilization of the power of God to benefit financially, personally. And I just want to tell you that's a counterfeit to the true gospel. We look at Jesus. Jesus was homeless. He had no, he had no financial wealth in this world. How would uh, Jesus, who sacrificed, who came to this earth and walked among us, how would he then call his followers to, be, to, to promise them financial wealth if they followed him? Jesus does that nowhere. His teaching actually called people to live a simple life. And so uh, we know that this isn't true. 
There's another thing that can happen that people sometimes do. They, they say, listen, I'm going to go to church or I'm going to be a part of a church community to promote my business or to increase my, my um, social standing in a community. And so rather than being sincere followers of Jesus, they want to go to a church to see their own personal advancement, their gain for their business or for them personally. This is a counterfeit, similar to what Simon did in our story today. There are those that try to use the, the power of God to manipulate others. Um, I've heard stories, for instance, of young man going to a young woman and, and saying, listen, God has told me that we should date. And, uh, you know, those kinds of things happen in our world. You know, uh, people come to me all the time. Hey, God's told me, pastor, this is what we should do as a church, or this is what you should do. And, uh, and my response is the same that I hope any young woman or young man would, would have the same response if somebody said, God's telling me something. Your response to them should be this. Well, God hasn't told me that yet. And until he tells me that, we're not doing it, right? Because the truth is that God has called um, each one of us to listen to him. And it's not fair to use the power of God to claim that I've heard from God and then you need to do what I'm telling you to do. That's called manipulation. <laughs> and it is certainly not correct. And so um, this is a counterfeit to a true follower of Jesus when they hear from God or feel like God's telling them something, they begin to pray for others. They pray for their pastor, for their church, for someone that they think they should be in a relationship with. They pray that God would speak to them as well. That is how um, a, a, true, a true mature follower of Jesus handles that. Another counterfeit I think we see in our world today is legalism. And legalism says, listen, if you're going to be a real Christian or a true follower of God, then there are certain things you need to do. There are certain behaviors you need to follow if you're going to be a true Christian. And, and this is tough because that is true in one sense. There are things that you're going to begin to do. There's fruit that we're going to see and, and you're going to be able to see in your own life if you're following Jesus. But to add to that, to, to put restrictions and behaviors that, uh, that human beings add to the gospel becomes a counterfeit. So be careful of those things. Well, as the Apostle Peter begins to travel and the gospel spreads out, um, as Peter begins to travel around the country, moves out from Samaria, he goes to some other towns and villages. Um, as he traveled, he saw powerful miracles happen through him in Jesus' name. And one of those miracles was that he, in one instance, Peter even raises the dead. Um, in Acts chapter 8, Peter went into the town of Joppa, and there was a woman named Tabitha, also known as Dorcas, and she was well known and loved by the people there. She had made clothing for many of the women, the widows, the orphans. She cared for people. She was such a good, loving person, and she had gotten sick and passed away. And so Peter went in, goes into this town and finds out um, that, that Tabitha had passed away, and he went into where the body was. He sat down next to her, and he asks everyone else to leave the room. And in Acts chapter 8, verse 40, it says this, but Peter asked them all to leave the room. Then he knelt and prayed. Turning to the body, he said, get up, Tabitha. She opened her eyes. When she saw Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then he called in the widows and all the believers, and he presented her to them alive. What a powerful story. Peter, the apostle, able to call Tabitha back from the dead. You know, this season in the book of Acts was a time of powerful miracles. And there's a reason for that. You know, Jesus at the Last Supper had initiated the new covenant. Jesus said, listen, there's a new agreement between God and man, and it's going to be represented by my death. He gave his disciples a cup of wine, and he said, listen, drink. This is going to be my blood that will be poured out for you. He gave them a little bread and said, eat this bread. It represents my body, which is going to be broken for you. And he said, listen, God is making a new promise to the human race. Now salvation is going to come through faith and trust in me. And so this new covenant uh, began to be preached, and, and, and God was doing powerful things at this time to demonstrate that this new movement was from him, that he was behind it. And so these evidences, resurrections from the dead, powerful healings and people that were, um, that were the blind could see and the lame could walk and all these demonstrations of power were God saying to uh, the people at that time, I'm doing something new. I'm moving in a new way. And so Peter, as he traveled, began to understand something very powerful. This new covenant was different than the old covenant. 
You know, the old covenant God had made with the nation of Israel. He had chosen Abraham and he had promised Abraham that he would bring salvation through him. And so salvation was primarily available to the nation of Israel, to the people of God. But at this time, after Jesus came and died on the cross, God was expanding salvation around uh, outside of the nation of Israel. And God was doing something different. The gospel we see in the book of Acts expands to the Gentiles. As we begin, as we continue to move through the book of Acts in Acts chapter 8, in verse 30, we uh, see a situation where Peter was, um, uh, was in, staying in a home. He went up on the, the roof, and he, uh, he was in prayer. He went into a trance, and God gave him a vision. This vision was a sheet that was lowered down, and there were animals in the sheet, all kinds of animals in it, but they were animals that previously God had said not to eat. They were unclean. And yet Jesus said to Peter, get up and eat. It's interesting um, as we look in the chapter, uh, in Acts chapter 8, this interaction that Peter has as he's in this, tra- in this tra- uh, trance. The voice, uh, starting in verse 13, it says, then a voice said to Peter, uh, or said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat, or eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared. I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up into heaven. Peter had this encounter where God was showing him something new. He was saying, listen, um, Peter, I know that uh, previously I've been at work inside of the nation of Israel, but now I'm going to reach the world. Peter discovered that, and he began to share the gospel with Gentiles. There was a man named Cornelius who was a Roman centurion that God sent to Peter. Peter got the opportunity to to minister to him and to teach him and to lead him to salvation through Jesus. God was moving to spread the the gospel around the world. Well, we've been given the responsibility to reach our country. And I want to look at as we wind up, as we wrap down today and and end our time together, what are the key opportunities we have to reach our Samaria? We must continue to reach our world, as I've been sharing with you, because we're only ever one generation away from extinction. The message of Jesus must continue, and we must continue to spread it. Jesus has called us to reach our country. There's some mission initiatives that we support as a church to reach our country. FCA is one of those, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. It is a movement that is uh, intended to reach and moving to reach the high school students, primarily in our country, the United States of America. Last week, we had the Hattons here. They're Awana missionaries. Awana is a a ministry that is meant to reach young people in our country. The Berean Fellowship, the, the denomination that we're a part of, is on mission to start churches in our country to see the United States of America come to faith in Jesus. And so Pastor Scott Mathis, his wife Diane, are the president of the Berean Fellowship, and they're moving to plant churches. And so we're trying to raise up church planters and expand around our country. We want to see the United States of America turn to Jesus. There's something, though, I want to call us to today. I want to give you a challenge uh, that we need to be a part of as followers of Jesus. Um, I'm calling it Pray for America or the Pray for America Challenge. As we met as an elder team and have talked as leaders of this church, we recognized that God is calling us to pray for a country. We live in a season of crisis, in a time where, um, where many are afraid and many are concerned for where they stand with God. And so I want to call us as followers of Jesus to pray for our country. This is what I want you to do. I want you to set your alarm. Uh, on your cell phone or on your smart watch or whatever you've got, um, set your alarm. And you can do this for a number of times. I'm going to give you a couple different options here. I'd love to see us praying throughout the day for a country. Specifically, I'm calling you to pray for revival. Any movement of God begins with his people. And it begins as his people turn their hearts back to him. And so I'm calling us as a church to pray for a country Can I tell you that many leaders, and I've seen this, uh, many leaders around the country are calling for the same thing. We need to rise up. We need to pray for our country, that God would turn our hearts back to him. And so set your alarm on your smartphone, your smartwatch, whatever it is that you've got. Set your alarm. Um, Here's some options. 7 a.m. I like to see many of us praying first thing in the morning when you get up. Pray for revival to come to our country. How about 10 o'clock in the morning? Midway through the morning, stop and pray. 
for our country. Pray for revival. Some of you need to set your alarms for 12 noon and stop when that alarm goes off. Just stop wherever you're at and pray. Maybe lead the people around you. Maybe it's your family. Lead them in prayer for our country. I'd like to see some of you set your alarm for 2 p.m. in the afternoon to stop and pray for revival to come to our country. And then lastly, 7 p.m. Some of you are more uh, better at night and you're going to remember in the evening to stop and pray for our country. We need to pray that our country would turn back to Jesus, that we would come to know him and look to him as our God and Savior, that we would follow him in his instructions and directions. This is the hope that we have for a country. So let's pray. I'm challenging you. Step up to that. Put some of those alarm times in your, in your phone and just stop and pray for our country. Listen, the mission movement has begun from the book of Acts. It continues to this day. Our church is on mission for God. We, our mission statement is this. We exist to see people get saved, to see saved people grow, and to encourage believers to reach the next person. As we end our time together today, let me challenge you with this. Uh, we have missionaries, and as a church, obviously I want you to support the missionaries that we have. And so look into that. Look on our website. You can select some of those. You can send a message to them. You can connect with them on social media. Um, determine an amount that you could give to support our missionaries financially. Can I say this, though, as we end our time? God is on the throne. Jesus is in charge. He's called us to follow him closely. As we spend time with him throughout the coming weeks and perhaps months, as we struggle with this virus, we're not sure what's going to happen. Can I tell you that God does know? And when we put our faith and trust in him, he gives us the certainty and the peace to rest in him as we go through a trial. I'm calling you to that. I want to encourage you to lift your voices up to him. Let's pray for our country. Let's make sure that we know where we stand with God. Let's share that message of hope with the people around us because we're going to encounter many who don't know where they stand with God. Listen, God has called us and raised us up for such a time as this. Would you be an encouragement to the world around you? Would you continue to be the message of Jesus, the hands and feet of him, as we live in the world today. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for calling us to be your church, calling us to be your people. God, would you continue to raise us up, fill us with courage, fill us with a sense of certainty that you are on the throne, that we are found in you. Our sins have been forgiven by your sacrifice. God, use us to serve and to help the world around us. We pray that our country would turn back to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. God bless you. We're praying you have a good week. We'll see you next Sunday, next weekend, as we continue in this series. God bless you.